0: Conspiracy Show with Richard
1: Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Carlos Cagina is The technical producer, Ryan White, is the live stream producer. And we are live streaming on my YouTube channel tonight, Strange Planet. And uh, as a matter of fact, I'm doing the show live from my mother's dining room table in Brantford, Ontario. So if you're on the live stream, this is the house I grew up in. And my mother uh, is listening in just down the hall uh, in, in bed on her AM radio. Uh, My parents bought this house in 1956. I was born in 64. So this house, the surrounding few blocks was my my entire world. I grew up listening to records. We had a dial telephone. We even had a party line. And so whenever I come back here, I find it it takes me back to a, a simpler time. Although... I did recently install high-speed internet here so my siblings and I can work remotely when we're here or my boys can take their online courses when they're visiting their grandma. But when my parents, think of this now, when my parents bought this house, their milk and bread was still delivered by horse and wagon. And now my mom, again, 95, she has Google Nest. She loves it. She'll ask it to play big band music, which, I don't know, there's something wonderfully paradoxical about that. So when my mother thinks of, of robots, she thinks of Google Nest playing Guy Lombardo or Frank Sinatra. When I think of AI and robotics, I think of the Terminator, just a matter of perspective. But it is hard to believe we are on the cusp of perhaps or even in the midst of A robotic and artificial intelligence revolution that is going to arguably equal or surpass, probably surpass, the industrial revolution in terms of its impact on society, on work, our economy. Are we prepared for it? Not even close. How can we prepare if it's not too late? That's where we're headed for the next two hours. So hang on to your hat. This is going to get intense. Dennis combites is recognized as a leader in robotics education. His approach to teaching robotics has helped thousands of students, and uh, he's also trained hundreds of teachers, helping them understand best practices for teaching robotics. He's frequently invited to present at educational conferences, and his presentation, Preparing Students for a Robotic Future, has been described as transformational and something every educator needs to hear. Dennis's innovative approach and strategies have helped educators at all levels deliver inspiring world-class robotics and programming education. He is the founder of robots.education. Dennis, welcome aboard. How are you?
2: I'm doing great, Richard. How are you
1: tonight? Wonderful. Wonderful. A little, you know, I, I'm not sure if I'm more interested in robotics or more frightened by it, or or artificial intelligence. But we'll get into that <laughs> shortly. I, I, I want I want to start off with because well maybe in your in this answer you can assuage some of my fears or maybe you'll intensify them. But I know that you you travel around the world you you share this information with educators and educators and ministers of education. And uh, you always start with a little short message, a kind of a, um, an introduction. Just share that w- with us, if you would.
2: Okay, thanks, Richard. Um, the first thing I like to talk to educators or anybody about uh, when we, before we get into this information is the first half of the presentation or the first half of the information where we talk about the challenges, what's coming, types of jobs that are gonna be affected, job loss, um, new opportunities that are coming, how we're doing in our preparations and stuff, a lot of that information can feel pretty overwhelming. Um, And you know, a lot of times I do these presentations live with educators, obviously with COVID, it's a little bit different recently, but about the 20 minute mark, I can look out into the audience and I can just see um, a lot of open mouths and and big eyes. And I recall once I was in New Jersey talking with an educator one-on-one and i was explaining the changes of you know what was coming and the lady got so angry at me that she started to shake and she said you know you're the you're the worst kind of person um profiteering off the demise of mankind and then she stormed off and i i was really truly quite rattled that first time that that had happened and but an interesting thing happened. The next day she came back and she found me at the conference and she said I just wanted to apologize and to thank you for you know having the fortitude to keep to keep going and telling people what you're saying because the things you said sounded very real to me and it affected me deeply but I want to thank you for saying them. And so the one thing that I would say right now to your listeners is we're going to go pretty deep down the rabbit hole of what's coming, and that's going to be pretty alarming for a lot of people. And this might sound sound a little overstated initially, but if you're driving in your truck, you may honestly want to contemplate pulling over. The the stats that are going to you know we will be talking about in a moment are pretty pretty dramatic. Uh, the impact is huge, and I just want everyone to please, please, please stay tuned for the second half of the program. Where we'll start to talk about some of the uh, opportunities and solutions because we have had incredible success teaching robotics you know from students in grade two all the way up through university and we've, we've really had a hundred percent success with kids where every single one of them has been able to learn this and so I think people are going to be surprised by some of the information when we talk robotics. Everybody gets a an idea in their head in, in terms of what we're talking about. We talk about AI; they get a vision, but people are going to be surprised about what it is, and also surprised, I think, at what some of the solutions are and how they you know they might fit into the future.
1: So, before we start talking about the forecasts and so forth, let's define some terms. Uh, sure. w- now, you know, robots have been around for 50, 60 years, uh, certainly in popular culture. And I I had a, had a robot as a kid, and, you know, with a, a battery-operated robot, it was very simple. You know, it moved around on wheels and it could do simple things. And um, in terms of artificial intelligence, I mentioned, I guess this isn't really artificial intelligence, but you'll sort of give us a proper definition, but I mentioned Google Nest off the top. And, uh, of course, we have Siri now and these sorts of things. So... Explain what we're talking about here. First of all, let's start with robots, because many of us have an idea in our head uh, uh, when, we, when we're talking about robots. What, what exactly are we talking about here?
2: Okay, so for when, when I'm talking uh, about robotics, I view robotics as an extension of your computer. It's really how your computer interfaces with the world around it. So for the purposes of these conversations, the best way to think of a robot is it needs to have a sensor. It has to be able to sense its environment. It needs a processor so it can figure out what it wants to do. And then it has to have a way to physically interact with the environment. And, you know, then you start to get into some pretty gray areas about, okay, is Siri a robot? You know, it's physically interacting by talking and stuff. So, but in this case, you know, I, I, I kind of lump all of the, those technologies around computers into robotics.
1: All right, self-driving cars—that that would be a robot, or not?
2: Yeah, yeah. Even you know, even as simple as the doors that open for you automatically at the mall would be a very, very simple form of you know of robotic application because it's sensing you moving up with a motion sensor. It you know it, it goes oh someone's moving uh, approaching I need to open the doors. So it can be very simple simple robotic applications all the way up to. You know, artificial intelligence and cars that can drive themselves. Yeah, it, it goes pretty deep. The
1: whole. Can we talk a little bit also about artificial intelligence then? Because I mean, is is Google Nest technically that's not artificial intelligence, is it? It's not. It's not thinking for itself, is it? it
2: I, I would. I wouldn't classify that as artificial intelligence. I would classify that as really great programming. So when we talk about artificial intelligence, you know, there's there's a lot of talk about artificial intelligence and machine learning and a lot of things that are being passed off as artificial intelligence aren't yet. But when we talk, you know, when we talk about artificial intelligence, to me, we're talking about uh, computers that are, uh, you know, running tests, seeing results, thinking and strategizing on new approaches that they might use to solve problems that's where we start to get into artificial intelligence. And then, you know, obviously self-awareness is a notch significantly higher than that. And, you know, for the, for the grand scheme of what I'm hoping to talk about today and to help people understand is, we don't have to get into the really deep end of the singularity, you know, uh, you know self-awareness for computers and stuff before we're gonna start to see an overwhelming impact that these technologies are bringing already to the world. It's just that people aren't really putting together all of the different things are happening, that are happening and thinking of those in a cumulative effect.
1: Uh, I just want to share a, a quote here from famous futurist Ray Kurzweil, who says, Artificial intelligence will reach human levels by around 2029. Follow that, follow that out further to say 2045. We will have multiplied the intelligence, the human biological machine intelligence of our civilization a billion fold. What are your thoughts on that?
2: It is, <laughs> as you could tell by the, by the pause there, it's dramatic. And if those projections are true, and it's, you know, it's certainly possible that they will be. Um, every, everything, every, every, everything changes and the changes that we're already looking at immediately are still overwhelming and we're just scratching the surface. You know, we're, we're really talking about the largest paradigm shift in human existence, I believe, where, you know, certainly electricity, you know, was a dramatic improver, but the changes that are going to come this time are going to be so sweeping and so fast that it's going to define all aspects of what humanity is.
1: I mentioned off the top, and I was sort of anticipating you know, your answer to this, but I, I said that we are woefully prepared uh, in terms of this. It's really a tsunami that's coming at us at 100 miles an hour. Uh, is that an accurate description that we are woefully prepared?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, it is you know and there are there are some countries that are taking steps faster than we are here in north america so there are some countries that are more prepared you know and the other thing that we have to understand is with the speed that this is coming it the the changes are coming you know from from let's say let's say job loss you know talking negatively for a second here the changes are coming for everybody they're going to hit North America, Germany, the UK, they're going to hit the industrialized countries first because the cost of living is higher. Hourly wages are higher. So these changes will impact everybody. And, you know, there's tens of millions of jobs forecast to be lost. At the same time, there's millions or tens of millions of jobs forecast to be gained. But that skill set is very different. And if we're not ready for that, the job loss is already you know starting to, to appear for us. But we have already a skill gap at the high end, you know, coding courses, cybersecurity, those types of things. We're already seeing a skill gap, and we're just at the front end of this, you know, this hockey stick like curve.
1: So let's let's talk about the numbers then. You mentioned tens of millions of jobs. Um, What what, can you can you be more specific? Let's say in the next ten years. So by twenty thirty, how many? Okay. How many jobs will be uh, lost due to automation and robotics?
2: Okay, I guess the first thing is there are a wide range of forecasts. Um, I think that you know some of them are uh, a little low and and everything changes with something like COVID as well. So these are pre-COVID stats from some of the leading authorities on it. Uh, globally, it's expected that the job loss in the next 10 years will be in the range of three hundred and seventy five million. Uh, across North America, the expectation that is that the job loss could reach forty percent, uh, representing up to sixty million people. And there's a real important distinction when we talk about this job loss. This is not job loss due to a recession. This is job loss. This is you know job elimination, right? If we talk about, you know for the sake of argument, uh, transportation, truck drivers, bus drivers, cab drivers, just you know, off the top of my head if those jobs get replaced by automation those jobs don't come back it's not a recession where you can go oh well we'll ride this out for a couple of years and I'll get another job in the same field this is a paradigm shift in what the workforce looks like
1: right because because productivity will be going up the stock market may well go up all the a lot of the economic indicators will be good except for employment numbers
2: right and that that has a uh, significant impact across all aspects of society. You know, when you start to look at um, what happened in Detroit, where Detroit ended up going bankrupt, uh, when when cities or states or provinces or countries experience too much economic slowdown, then the machine stops. And, you know, people stop buying screen TVs, and then the companies that sell big screen TVs they go out of business and then people stop buying you know cars and the whole thing spirals and what we're going to see is if we you know if we start to experience significant job loss we're in for you know a societal uh, significant amount of pain
1: Right. The tax base. I mean, there'll be corporate taxes, uh, but individual taxes, the tax base will be severely eroded. That means how will governments pay for uh, services? That means how will we pay pensions? How will we pay? Well, in the states, Medicare, Medicaid up here, we have universal health care. How will that be paid for? Uh, How will people's retirement be paid for? Uh, you know, it's interesting. The only person who really talked about this in the, well, in the uh, the Democratic, um, the run for the Democratic uh, leadership or uh, candidate for president was Andrew Yang. Uh, and he was kind of dismissed as being a bit of a kook. Now, a lot of his policies I disagreed with, but I think overall, uh, you know, obviously a very intelligent, thoughtful person, very likable person uh we're not talk this is not part of the public discourse this is not even a campaign issue
2: no and it's and honestly richard it's the big one it it, it really truly is the big one when we look at you know we we talk about the social programs and stuff and reduce tax base you know some people are 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 throwing around terms like universal basic income and that's a great concept but if You know, if we're behind in robotics and artificial intelligence and, you know, if the best AI is coming out of Asia or the Middle East or Northern Europe and the best robotics platforms are coming out of those countries and the best software is coming out of those countries, where, where are the profits going? They're going offshore. And you can't have universal basic income if you don't have money for the government to do it. So we're talking about a complete rethink in taxation, and the, the truth is a lot of governments love to cut education because the cost doesn't show up for five or ten years. But what we're very quickly going to find is the currency of the future is intellectual infrastructure, and we are behind on the curve. And the changes are coming for us first. This is, this is an absolute crisis that is just not recognized.
1: And it's obviously it's it's way way too late to be having a discussion about whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, we could we could say, well, we're we're going to regulate uh, to prevent job loss in the field of of uh, you know drivers, truck driving. Uh, we won't allow automation, but but I mean, or we're not going to allow uh, you know drones these sorts of things. Okay, fine. So your jurisdiction uh, regulates them out. They simply move to another jurisdiction and you're left holding the bag. We, it, I mean, in other words, we it's too late to have a fil- philosophical discussion about whether we want this or whether it's a good thing. It's here. Now we have to adapt.
2: I, I could not agree more. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, the the changes are now upon us and when we look at what's happening within education, and you know, I've, I've talked to 20,000 educators, so I've got a real good handle on this. And many of those educators are passionate, you know, passionate about their kids. They love their kids. They're passionate about the future. They want to do the right things. There's just not enough discussion around what the right things are. And there's not enough discussion around having a good understanding about, about what changes we need to make. But I, I want to throw something out at you. If we accept the fact that 40% of the population, mm. you know, theoretically, their jobs are going to be eliminated in the next decade, if 40% is correct, then it is reasonable to say that 40% of our kids that graduate from high school take the exact type of jobs that are disappearing. We have to change education. Now, if, if you think about what happens when one person loses their job, and the impact of their family. And now think 10 people, 100 people, 60 million people losing their employment. And every year our high schools are graduating children with enough, you know, technical education and high-tech skills uh, to take the exact type of jobs that are disappearing. We are already going to have a very large pool of people that are looking for work that have low technical skills, you know, for, for lack of a better term. We have to not be graduating anybody from our schools that are going to go, you know, they're going to fall into that same pool.
1: It is, it is dire. There's no question about it. Dennis Combites is here from Robot.Education, and uh, we will take a timeout, come back, further de- delve into this. We will open up the phone lines and take questions in the second hour. So just sit back, listen to the conversation. Don't get discouraged. There are solutions on the way coming up in the second hour. But uh, until then, we've got uh, a little bit more heavy sledding to do. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away.
0: PIN numbers, passcodes, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740.
1: Welcome back. I love this quote uh, regarding artificial intelligence and robotics from Steve Polyak. Before we work on an artificial intelligence, why don't we do something about natural stupidity? <laughs> Uh true enough. Uh Dennis Combites is here, the founder of robots.education, robots.education. Incidentally, uh, Dennis, how do I know I am talking to the Dennis and not the AI version of Dennis?
2: <laughs> um, I don't even have a good answer. I was thinking about doing something kind of silly on, you know, on the visuals for the podcast and, and no AI would do that, but uh <laughs> It's a good question. You know, computers have, have passed the Turing test, so it's uh, it, it is getting trickier and harder to tell.
1: Right, right. Now, we talked about job displacement. I mean, but there's there's sort of two angles to this. There's the the jobs, the the robots that will displace you, but then there are there's also assistive assistive uh, robotics. So that like so, for example, in Japan, they're using robots to help you know the elderly to care for the elderly you know to to take to, to carry them upstairs and these sorts of things
2: yeah yeah i i think definitely what we're going to see in a lot of um in a lot of industries are the robots that are appearing first will be assistive but i think it's important to understand what an assistive robot means because if you know if an assistive assistive robot is doing 30 percent of an accountant's job you know or a bookkeeper's job then really a company needs to have 30 percent less accountants or bookkeepers and so i you know a lot of companies are coming out going we're not making robots that are going to replace people we're making robots that are going to help people do their job better but if people are doing their job better the the you know the one step up from that is then other people are not going to be doing that job Right. So we're going to see we're going to see changes across all industries, certainly a huge number of jobs lost. But it's important to think about how this technology is going to change careers that you wouldn't necessarily think about.
1: And yes, this is interesting. Yeah. Give me an example of that, because you and I have talked before and and you gave some examples just I hadn't even thought of uh, that that yeah. will be reported replaced by robots or will be assisted by robots?
2: So one of, one of the one of the ones that I love is, um, and it's one of the, the first couple of these aren't really replaced by robots, but just that you would have to have robotics literacy, uh, or high tech, you know, skills and literacy to get these types of jobs. And the first one I love is the fashion industry. And I was at a robotics conference, you know, six or seven years ago, probably now, Uh, and we're talking heavy-duty robotics, drones, assembly line robots, and I was giving a presentation on the impact, you know, that we're going to see worldwide and on the workforce. And I was surprised over the next two days by how many people that I met at this conference that were from the fashion industry. And initially you would think, well, fashion design and robotics, those two things are about as far down the spectrum as they could be. But when we start to think about, okay, you know, if you if you were to draw a circle and say, okay, all the crazy fashion that's ever been made in the world fits within that circle. And then you go, okay, what could you do if you add robotics and 3D printing to that circle? And it gets larger, right? You, you, you get more innovative designs, you get clothing that could adjust itself and respond to its environment. And so what we're going to see is even in a career like the fashion industry, which we would think as being very creative, People that have strong tech skills are going to move to the top of that industry and get hired first. And once there's, this is an important distinction, once there's enough people that have those high-tech skills available, people without the high-tech skills stop getting hired. And, you know, another industry I love to talk to teachers about and educators about is the education industry. Because I think that we would all agree that teaching, for many teachers, is not a high-tech career. They're using technology, but it's not truly high tech. But if we if if we project forward four or five years, and we think about all the changes that are happening in the workforce, and you're a principal of a school and you're looking to hire a new teacher, what kind of a teacher are you hiring? You've already got lots of teachers that can teach math, English, the sciences. You know, if a teacher retires, you can shuffle your staff and cover that pretty clear. Where's the skill gap in education? And the answer is robotics, coding, 3D printing. It's the high-tech courses. So teaching is not a high-tech career, but if you have aspirations to become a teacher and you don't have those words on your resume, you're going to have a difficult time finding a job because those are the teachers that are overwhelmingly in demand. And I talked with some principals at a conference. In fact, the, the last conference I was at, every time I mentioned this to a principal, they said those are already the teachers that are getting hired. So this type of situation exists, but we don't think about teaching as being a high tech career.
1: Right, right. Let me throw some occupations at you, and you tell me whether you think they will be uh, how they will be impacted by robotics. Either they'll be those jobs will be eliminated, uh, or whether they will be assisted by robotics, etc. So, I mean, okay. will there be any any, any more sort of common uh, or manual labor? Will there be any more laborers, per se? I
2: I think there will be, um, certainly for a period of time. You know, so uh, I'm not sure if your listeners are aware. They probably are. They're pretty enlightened. Um, you can 3D print homes now. That's a new technology that's coming along. So if you're a laborer that typically is building houses or you're a, a trade, like a plumber, you know, the... Robotics can impact how products are made from scratch very easily with, you know, with paradigm change, comparatively easily with paradigm changes like 3D printing a home. But, you know, one of the things that robotics and AI is not good at and won't be for quite a while is if, you know, if you're a plumber and you go into an existing house, you're looking at a wide range of variables and having to make decisions on what the best course of action is that's the type of job that is going to be quite safe. You know, the other other aspect that I think is interesting within North America is if we get a significant number of people understanding robotics and stuff, the potential is there to bring manufacturing back to North America. Now that's not gonna create a massive amount of manufacturing jobs in the traditional sense that it used to be. But the manufacturing can be done here because if it's being done by technology, You're looking at the price of electricity and and robots here versus the price of electricity and robots in Asia. So there's a couple of industries that, you know, would would have unexpected twists, perhaps.
1: What about a farmer?
2: I would say significantly assistive technology initially, and we're already seeing that. You can get combines that are, you know, GPS driven and stuff like that. We'll see you know, probably in the in the near future, if it's not already there, real-time soil analysis so that, you know, a computer can figure out, like, I need to add this much nitrate or phosphate or, you know, I'm not in agriculture, so I'm throwing words out there. I'm not really sure if they make sense, but you get the point. Um, farming will be significantly assisted by technology. You know, when we talk about dairy farms and stuff, the technology is already pretty big there. And what we will see is that farms, you know, we'll see more amalgamating, I believe, in the farm industry with larger companies taking over larger slots of land because they can produce more cost-effectively. And what that means is people that are in agriculture, even if you're, you know, a comparatively small operator, you still need to be utilizing the technology to remain cost-effective and competitive.
1: What about the service industry at like restaurants, staff, cooks, chefs, maitre d's?
2: been in a McDonald's recently. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs>
2: you know, it's it's funny. When I used to talk to people a couple of years or three years ago, I was talking about how you know, touch screen ordering was going to come into the McDonald's. And initially, that was a little bit hard to, to believe. And now it's really hard to go into a McDonald's without finding it. Now, the next thing that's going to come is, you know, back of house, robotic chefs. Those are already released. And I was talking to somebody literally last night, and they were telling me that Um, This is third-hand information, not verified, so I want to throw that out there. But they were telling me that a friend of theirs had been in Germany, and they went into a McDonald's, and the entire process was automated. And so, you know, we start to... I just want to roll back for a second and help people to understand how big of an impact this is. Just looking at the McDonald's and the touchscreen ordering, you know, at the McDonald's near our house, a few years ago you would walk in and there would be four or five people across the front counter. And now there's one and a whole bunch of you know touch screen ordering. So that's potentially 3 to 4 people less per shift that you would need in that restaurant per day. So let's say 7 people per day per restaurant, 15,000 restaurants, it's 105,000 jobs that don't exist today that existed 2 years ago. No headlines you know, in, in our country, when Sears was uh, going bankrupt, big headlines about 3,000 jobs being displaced. And that is big news. We're talking 105,000 jobs disappearing. And this is not a shot against McDonald's because, you know, and I've, I've asked thousands of educators this. If you paid a million or $2 million or half a million dollars, whatever the total is, to get your McDonald's franchise, and by putting in touchscreen ordering, you could save $200,000 a year... Who here is keeping the people employed? And not a single hand has ever gone up. So, what we have to understand is this is human nature, right? E- economics always wins. And,
1: true enough. Excuse me, Dennis, I have okay. to jump in here. We, we, we have to Sorry. take a time out. We'll come back and Perfect. continue this. Dennis Combites. What, a, what an incredibly appropriate name <laughs> to discuss computers and artificial intelligence and robotics. Dennis Combites from robots.education. More. On the other side, my name is Richard Sarrett. You're listening to the Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Providing the
0: evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is the Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio.
1: You know, Dennis. During the uh, Industrial Revolution, there were these. Uh, they were called Luddites, I guess, and and they um, they were opposed to early forms of mechanization and so forth. And they would go in and sabotage equipment. And and I, th- I think these were the Luddites. If I've got that wrong, forgive me. But it, it, there was, in other words, there was a group that was opposed to this and they tried to, you know, forestall really the inevitable. I'm wondering, it'd be interesting to, to get your take on whether you think there will be a similar response to uh, robotics and, and artificial intelligence.
2: I think the first thing that we need to recognize is that the world is changing at this all at the same time. So trying to, trying to stall your local, you know, uh, evolution of these technologies is only going to put your country at greater risk. That's an important, important thing to know certainly there will be people that will um not want these technologies to come in but you know the ultimately governments will have two options and one option is to make sure that all of their people you know can be successful in the new workplace and the other option is going to be to slap massively high tariffs on everything and functionally try to exist as a silo and You know, historically that hasn't been a great approach to things, but, you know, the the, the biggest thing that people need to do right now is do their best to understand how their industry is going to potentially change. And, you know, Richard, know this. I'm not an advocate of saying everyone needs to be a roboticist or a coder. Certainly the people that understand those technologies and get to the top level, they are going to be handsomely rewarded in the workplace and do incredible things. But what I am a massive advocate of is robotics literacy. You know, we all have to have an understanding of what is coming, how our jobs are going to change. If you're working in a kitchen beside a robot, you know, you don't necessarily have to know how to program that robot, but you have to be comfortable being there. And if you're a manager of a retail store, you know, you don't have to know how to program the robots that are in the warehouse or the customer service robots but you have to understand the potential of what they can do, what their strengths are, their limitations. You know, the whole workflow of many, many industries is going to change. And the people that understand that and take the steps to try and set themselves up today are going to be hugely, hugely advantaged.
1: I was going through kind of a list of occupations and wondering how they'll be impacted by robotics. And I mentioned the service industry, restaurants. Let's say, for example, like a chef who really is an artist working with food. Um, I mean, I, I suppose you could get a robot that, that knew exactly how to, you know, mixed with artificial intelligence, mix the, the precise, you know, uh, ingredients and so forth. I mean, do you see a, a time when when the great chefs of Europe, for example, will all be replaced at the Michelin star restaurants with robots?
2: I'd sure like to think not, uh, but I think that what we'll find is there will be restaurants that care about that, where you want the human touch, and restaurants that don't. But if you're going into a fast food place, if I'm going through a drive-through, I, I care about what comes out on my plate. I, you know, the the experience. It's not about the experience; it's about the food. There are going to be restaurants where it's about the experience, and the same thing is true of painters, for example, if, for example, you know, you can have uh, a, a robot or a machine create a perfect replica of you out of oil in the future. But if I want a perfect replica, I'll take a photograph, right? I want that human interpretation. And, you know, the, but I would, I would say in a lot of cases, robotic chefs will be replicating uh, recipes from great chefs. Yeah, I think that's a, a probability for sure.
1: What about the medical field? Surgeons, nurses, dentists, doctors?
2: Uh, some, of, some of that, okay, that, that whole industry is, gonna, is getting a major upgrade, first off. And again, if you understand those technologies, you're way better off. You know, we'll be having doctors in Toronto operating in patients in New York. That type of thing will happen in the future. Um, we'll certainly see support staff, um, orderlies and stuff like that. Those people are potentially at more risk and in fact, there are robotic orderlies already. Uh, but you know, there, there's, when you're, when you're dealing with people, particularly people that are in distress, uh, like a, like a medical situation, the best in the best interface, look, I sound like a computer. (laughs) Now you're really not sure who you're talking (laughs) to.
1: I, (laughs) I, I, you're raising my suspicions.
2: the best interface is another person. And I did a presentation at a school and, and, you know, they made an announcement that anybody who wants to come and hear this robotics presentation, you know, come down to the theater. And at the end of the presentation, I talked to one of the teachers and she was a psychology teacher. And I said, I'm surprised, you know, I'm surprised you were here. And she said, she asked her kids, do you want to go? And they did because they were curious if their jobs, you know, as therapists and psychologists in the future would be replaced. And my answer to that teacher was, certainly there will be call, you know, AI call lines that will do a pretty good job. But if we step back for a second and think about the, the the pain to humanity of what happens when 60 million people lose their jobs, and remember, a lot of these people are going to be, you know, if you've been a trucker for 20 years, and this is not picking on a trucker, you probably don't have a huge amount of the new tech skills. So then you lose your job, and you're like, okay what can I do? And we're going to start to see a lot of people suffering uh, emotional consequences of what's coming. And you know, so the therapists and psychiatrists are going to be, those jobs will be increasing in demand. And again, though, in those jobs, if you understand robotics and AI and you have that literacy, you're not a roboticist, but if you have that literacy, you're significantly more able to get people back into being productive members and feeling good about their future and how they do fit in society.
1: Empathy. They'll have an algorithm for that, I'm sure. Uh, that's what really scares me, the the loss of humanity, ultimately. Uh, we'll take another quick time out. Come back. Dennis Combites stays with us for the full two hours. We will open the phone lines at the top of the hour, take questions and comments. And also, I'll be taking questions from the YouTube live chat. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. <laughs>
0: Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on
1: Zoomer Radio. A quick programming note. Next week will be dedicated the full two hours to the anniversary of 9-11. Uh, Morgan Reynolds, founder of nomoregames.net, economics professor emeritus, former chief economist for the U.S. Department of Labor under George uh, W. Bush, uh, and uh, Dr. Judy Wood, the author of Where Did the Towers Go? Evidence of Directed Energy uh, on 9-11. They'll both be along for the full two hours, and again, that's next week two hours on the uh, anniversary of 9-11. De- Dennis Combites is uh, with us from robots.education. And um, we, we touched on this earlier, the, you know, the, the impact uh, on the workforce, for example. We talked about um, high unemployment, uh, but there's some other aspects that, are, that uh, will be affected. And one of those is uh, uh, crime. So are we talking here about the, an increase in crime due to, uh, you know, loss of jobs? Or are we talking about how robots will be utilized in what crime prevention?
2: Well, it's certainly both of those are possibilities. Um, you know, the law enforcement, like all other industries, is rapidly changing as new technology becomes available. Um, big data analysis and stuff is now all part of crime fighting. Um, Certainly surveillance methodology will change. But as the, you know, as, as technology comes and, you know, with robotics and AI, it's important to understand those are industries, yes. But more importantly, much like computers, they're layers across all industry. And as we get new technology, then we have the potential for, you know, new and more innovative crimes, um, and you know, so we need we need new and more innovative law enforcement to to combat that. But certainly, one of the you know one of the big things is when we talk about the number of jobs going away, people just hear that number, and it's so hard to put that you know into your into your mind and to to contemplate what that looks like practically. And I think that what we're going to see is. You know, um, in areas where they have not adopted technology in their education system and people haven't prepared themselves for this, we will see increased crime because we'll see increased desperation, because unemployment will be higher. You know, and we talked a little bit about the reduced um, impact of, or, or the reduced ability for the governments to bring social programs and medical insurance and the like. You know, and if we're going to if we're going to go you know, it, right before the break, you mentioned, you know, the, the whole aspect of humanity. And I think this is a really important thing we have to understand that within North American high schools, the number of children learning robotics in schools that are teaching them 2% of boys, 0.2% of girls. You know, maybe it's up to 03 or and 3% at this point in time. And I've, but I've confirmed that number over the last eight years, because I always poll the audience when I'm doing presentations and say, I want to make sure that you believe that these numbers are accurate. And the people that are teaching robotics always give me an affirmative. Occasionally, we'll see outliers, but that's pretty much it across the board. So think about this. We're we're looking at, you know, the largest workforce transition in the history of mankind, and two or three girls out of a thousand are learning the technology behind it. And, you know, and 20 to 30 boys is better, but that's, (laughs) <laughs> That's woefully inadequate as well.
1: And how did this happen? About, how did we get? How did we get caught with our proverbial pants down?
2: I think everybody's just really busy going from point A to point B. You know, when I was at that robotics conference that I mentioned earlier, uh, and I was up on stage, I was like, "Oh, I'll be curious to see how you know, how well this information is received here at a robotics conference with." hundreds or thousands of roboticists. And the number of people that came up to me and said, I've never thought of it that way, because what happens is our engineers are looking at going from point A to point B. That's their job. But no one's sitting back, well, there are some people that are, but it's not being discussed. No one's sitting back and taking a 10,000 foot view and saying, what happens when 10,000 engineers are doing that, or 20,000? And they're all gonna reach the finish line at about the same time. When, When we're looking at our education system, If, you know, and you made the comment about humanity earlier, and I love that, because if we want to preserve what humanity looks like, we need to have all, like, people all across the engineering spectrum, which includes people that are not at all interested in engineering, understanding what's coming. You know, we need environmentalists knowing this, doctors, politicians, artists, everybody has, environmentalists, everybody has to understand what's coming, and it's through it's through everybody getting a notch up in their education and understanding. That's how we preserve humanity. Because if we're leaving our humanity decision to a few companies or a few people that are doing incredible things, the bulk of humanity may not be happy with where we end up.
1: I'm just I'm curious, though, how... We have you know government agencies that present white papers that are forecast twenty twenty five years into the future. We have think tanks coming out our wazoos that are you know again looking at what's happening in the future and it's like what nobody saw this coming
2: i I think that I think there are definitely people out there you know i mean there there are a number of very excellent futurists, and uh certainly there are. Um, think tanks. And in fact, we're putting together a think tank that will, for for late October, and then we're going to run one hopefully each month, but the October one's a lock, where we're going to be inviting a number of uh, top futurists, economists, educators, government officials, business leaders. You know, part of the challenge is the system of government is designed, you know, over a four-year cycle. You know, and... And that's a real challenge because the payout for this historically has been longer than four years, right? So people are like, okay, you know, and it, it's the same challenge that exists in sports where I'll mortgage the future to look good today. And, but when we do that with our children and our youth and our economy, it you know, there's, there's a price to pay. Eventually you get pushed up against the wall and we've been pushing it down, pushing it down, making education cuts, making education cuts and so far we've been able to manage that but the timeline is getting much shorter for us and we have to you know we have to start putting resources into this in a in an emergency type way immediately
1: this is very speculative but i have to ask this question it is the conspiracy show after all and and that is this quarantine and lockdown covid-19 I've always suspected that at least, not that the virus isn't real, but that it is being used as kind of a beta test. And one of the things that they've been floating, of course, are you know guaranteed annual incomes. Um, I'm just wondering: do you think that 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 they are taking this opportunity to hit the reset button, knowing that this huge displacement is coming, um, to start introducing some of these things like a guaranteed income?
2: I I think it's possible, but if they're they're looking at that type of approach, they darn well better be looking at increasing the funding for education, because a reset button that says we're going to have universal basic income when you're going to have a much reduced tax base is not going to work, right? We have to be putting a significant amount of money into education, and we have to change how we're educating our kids about robotics so that we're not just reaching the top 2% of kids or engineering-minded kids. And at the middle school level, the numbers are typically 5 to 15% of kids learning robotics, you know, depending on what product is being used, the girls at the lower end of the curve. You know, and just, as, a, as you know, I talked earlier about the fact that there was going to be some good news, so here's some good news. When we teach robotics the way that we're teaching it, we get 90% of all children at middle school age wanting to learn this. At the high school level, we're consistently hitting 25 to 45% and we've tested these across 18,000 children across north america inner city la prairies of canada you know new jersey down into australia so there are solutions it just takes it takes an awareness at the educator level and at the government level of the changes that are coming how sweeping they're going to be and and then putting into place the resources to make these changes happen but it's not expensive.
1: all right and we will uh, we'll drill down on those types of uh, points when we come back talk uh, we'll talk about the the solutions to this seemingly insurmountable problem uh, this uh, huge economic displacement that's coming our way think of a tsunami approaching our shores at a 100 miles an hour. And uh, we haven't even inflated the life rafts yet. Uh, that's where we're at. Dennis Combites is with robots.education. We'll open up the lines. 416-360-0740 in the Greater Toronto Area. Again, 416-360-0740. And toll free from just about anywhere. one 866 740-4740 1-866-740 4740 We'll also take questions from uh, those of you gathered in our YouTube live chat Stay with us as we roll into Hour 2 with the robot Robotics Revolution and Dennis Combites. Stay with us
0: Live from Toronto, Canada Earth The Conspiracy Show With Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio.
1: Well, thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi. Your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Dennis Combites stays with us from robots.education, and uh, we will open the phone lines this hour. Uh, Just a quick note, if you haven't already done so, please check out the website for this program. It's really the portal to all of my projects, The Conspiracy Show, my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited, this YouTube channel. All of that can be accessed through the website strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. There's also an events and appearances page and uh, a contact page where you can reach out to me. Also, uh, a list of affiliates you'll find there if uh, you're wondering uh, where else you can listen to the program. And uh, while you're at strangeplanet.ca, just take a moment and register for my free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum. All I need is your email. It just takes but a second. Again, it's a free monthly newsletter, and it's delivered right to your email inbox every month. And the uh, the September issue of Inner Sanctum uh, will be published within the next couple of days. So again, register at strangeplanet.ca. Uh, so Dennis, before we start talking about some solutions, I want you to sort of, let's begin this hour with some some positive news here. Uh, you know, we, we I, I talked about my perception of, you know, robots and artificial intelligence is informed by uh, the um, uh, the Terminator franchise of movies, which is kind of the robot apocalypse and the singularity you mentioned, that sort of thing. Um, but make the case for robots and artificial intelligence. Paint me a, a rosy picture of what life might be like through the, uh, the advent of robotics and artificial intelligence?
2: I, I think the, the first thing is that we will you know, go further, go smaller. Um, we will obviously invent incredible new things. There's a lot of concern over the environment right now. If we're going to fix the environment, uh, that's going to come from technology. We're going to get massively smarter over the next ten years, and we're going to start to see some biotechnology, which uh, will be potentially on on, on one hand frightening, uh, but we're going to see some some things that are significantly life changing for people that are you know suffering from Alzheimer's or you know, a range of different of, of different ailments. And I believe that through the use of artificial intelligence, we will solve a lot of our medical issues as well. You know, I, I think back to a, a test, and my numbers are potentially going to be a little bit out here, but it was something to the to the effect of um, a robot operating artificial intelligence did 623 experiments on different uh, compound uh, com- components for a solar panel, and you know, so it, it and it, it went through and it did a bunch of tests and said, okay, these ones seem to be the most promising, and then it went and it did a bunch more, and it did a bunch more. And it improved the efficiency of the solar panels by 10 or 12 percent over the span of a weekend. And we're going to start to see some things like that. So there, uh, there's a lot to be excited about. We're going to understand, you know, we'll go deeper into the ocean, deeper into volcanoes, further into space, inside the human body. We're going to do incredible things. You can get robotic prosthetics now, which you can control largely with your mind and that your mind can understand, like if you've got a robotic foot, if you're stepping on a pebble or something like that. You get that feedback now now for people that are you know have suffered amputations and stuff that's huge right so there's there's a lot of incredible things that are going to come but at the same time you know there's a there's a flip side of that coin and that coin is going to be the marginalization of many people out there if we don't start to change the way we're educating our kids and if people who are in careers that are in the crossfires you know they need to start Upgrading their skills right now. We've got time still. That's the good news about this. These changes are not right around the corner. We have time. And interestingly, COVID presents a bit of an opportunity for some people if they're collecting CERB or if they're not, you know, um, up in Canada or or they're, you know, underemployed right now. If you're normally getting 40 hours and you're getting 20 only now at your job, that's a great opportunity for you to, to spend that time investing in yourself. Right. And I mean, if we sit there and we wait for good things to happen to us, this this is not the time for that. And good, those good things aren't going to happen on their own. But people right now need to be looking at the future and in, in, understanding what's going to change about their careers, and then starting to pivot now while there's still time. And there is time, we just have to move now.
1: So um, many of us, you know, someone my age, thinking, how you know the learning curve would just be insurmountable. We're talking you know robots and programming and coding. I mean that's just beyond my capacity. Uh, assuage my my fears. Okay.
2: Uh, so I've trained hundreds of teachers to teach robotics. I would say ninety five percent of those teachers had no prior robotics or coding experience. Robotics isn't what people think it is anymore. Right. Like it, I mean, it's, it's kind of like computers back in the seventies or eighties used to be very hard to program. Not many people could do it. And now we all Punch use computers cars. all day long. But right. Yeah, exactly. And, and so it used to be very, very difficult, but there's software out there now that makes programming robots and learning robotics and coding quite easy. So I've, you know, I mentioned earlier that I've uh, taught robotics to thousands of kids. I've, I've done demonstrations for more than 18,000 children. And, In 45 minutes, with a group of grade four students with the software that we use to teach, I can get those students to program a robot, a humanoid robot to wave, to talk. They'll record their voice and have it come out the robot. Then I'll get them to give the robot a name and they'll communicate with it verbally to get it to wave. They'll have the robot tracking color and recognizing a student and they will do that all in 45 minutes. Now, at the end of that hour, or 45-minute period, they're not really going to know a lot about what they've done, but the fact that they could execute that in that speed points to the simplicity, And, and more than that, what I love to do is they're working with a robot that is about a foot, about a foot high. It's an easy robot, which is easy dash robot. Um, they're working with that and they program it. And all the way through the presentation, I've got the software up on the screen behind me so they can all see what we're doing. So a student programs the robot to Wave. And I say to all the, you know, all the other kids, okay, who could do that? Everybody puts their hand up. So at the end of 45 minutes, I have all of the kids understanding they could program this little humanoid robot. And then I'll show them a video of a life-sized humanoid robot. And, you know, it's an in-move robot. And it looks, very, uh, intimidating. It looks like the robot off of iRobot. And so I'll say to the kids, and if they're older, I'll say, okay, who here, you know, you've all said you could program this little one who could program this big one. And almost nobody thinks they could, but this particular in move robot is programmed using the exact same hardware and software as the little guy they were using. So I'll say to the kids, okay, let's look at what the robot's doing. He's moving servos. Did you program your robot to move servos? You did. All of you could do that. This robot uses the exact same hardware and software and the robot's talking. It's got a built-in camera. It's seeing, it's recognizing things, it's understanding. And, you know, in two minutes, the kids go from feeling like, okay, I could program a toy to looking at this big robot and go, I could program a life-sized humanoid robot. And the difference in how they view themselves in that moment is incredible Right, we're, we're teaching robotics and we're teaching coding, but the biggest impact we're having is we're changing the way children view themselves and allowing them to, to visualize themselves in a high-tech world. And now imagine if we do that in a school and all the fifth graders and sixth graders feel like they could program robots. How does that change the courses they take in middle school or, or junior high? How does that change what they take in high school? How does it change the careers they go into? We're totally redefining what the future looks like for those kids, and we can do that in 45 minutes, and we do it all day long, and it's super easy, and we make that available to schools for free. There are solutions out there. The schools just don't know that those solutions are there, and they're not looking for them because they don't understand the scope of challenge that we're facing.
1: You know, what's interesting is a lot of schools now, and and. and parents, myself included, are looking for high schools for their kids that offer STEM programs, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Uh, one would assume that as part of these STEM programs, there would already be robotics and coding. So if if it's not already in STEM, you know, where are we going to find it? Okay,
2: and, and so this is, this is important. It is in STEM to a degree. Some schools that are teaching, you know, that are STEM-centric still don't have a lot of robotics courses, but it's coming. But here's here's an important thing: if you're, you know, kind of what you've described is the concept of a a STEM magnet school, and this is to me one of the one of the real um, misconceptions within education or the real dangers. So, if we've got a STEM magnet school and you send your child to a STEM school. Presumably that's because your child does well in science and is interested in that. They're engineering-minded, technical-minded, so you're sending them to a STEM school to go off on, on, into their incredible future, and that's awesome. And, and those schools are moving in this direction. But just stepping back for a second and looking at this societally, if we have STEM magnet schools, the, the opposite of that is what's happening in the other schools that are not STEM magnet schools. Because if districts are putting a huge amount of resources into their STEM schools, that means the other schools are getting, you know, less because there's a limited number of dollars to go around. And just think for a second, all of the jobs that robotics and artificial intelligence is going to replace first, you know, retail, food services, transportation, manufacturing. Those are not the kids that are typically going into STEM education. They're not going off to university, you know, to to go be engineers. Those are the kids that need the STEM education the most and they're the ones that get it the least. And even in schools where we have robotics courses and stuff, we teach it like it's an engineering course, which only appeals to engineering minded kids. And, you know, this is an important distinction. I am not, I'm not, you know, trying to throw shade at educators that are teaching robotics. God bless them. They're doing a, a critically important thing. And and by and large, they're doing a really great job, but they're doing a great job for two percent of the kids or three percent of the kids, five percent, 15 percent. And they're doing it for the kids that are the most engineering minded. And, you know, we want to lift those kids up as high as we can. But those kids were already going to go off to university to be great, you know, and be engineers and, you know, leaders anyways. What we have to do societally is understand that we have to we have to really find a way to reach the kids that are not. STEM-centric. They're not engineering-minded. Those kids need this education every bit as much or more than the kids that are going to the STEM magnet school. And the way that we're teaching robotics, by and large, isn't reaching them. Now, now we can because we're hitting 90% of kids at the middle school level, but we're, we do things differently than what schools are typically doing.
1: Uh, I want to come back to this uh, students in a moment, but there are people that have already gone through many people listening, that have already gone through the education system. Their educational career is they you know more or less finished, uh, and they're working in many of these jobs that are going to be impacted uh, by robotics. They may be displaced by robotics. They're not in high school, uh, so what do they do?
2: And this is this is one of the big challenges. That are going to be, is going to be facing the world and certainly North America. I believe I, I saw some forecasts that were forty three billion dollars to try to reskill the people that are going to need reskilling, and that the workforce could only profitably reskill twenty five percent of people. Right, so we're we're looking at a real crunch here. And if educators think they don't have money to put into education today, where are they going to find forty three billion dollars to reskill the people losing their jobs? Right, so now it has to happen. But my advice to everybody who is, you know, listening to this program and maybe a little bit fearful about their future, you do have a place in the future. Every, everybody can learn this stuff. The first thing you need to do is recognize that you don't have to be a roboticist at the end of your journey, and you certainly don't have to be a roboticist at the start of your journey. Number one step people can take is get online, do searches to see how technology is gonna impact your career because you have to know if you're on the clock, right? And then after that, I would say, it's important to understand that it doesn't matter what age you are, everybody starts at the start, right? If you're 40 years old or 50 years old, and you're trying to learn French, you don't start by writing a thesis in French, you start with the word bonjour, right? Where So the, the number one thing people can do is they can pick up online coding courses, they can buy
1: you know, um,
2: entry-level robotics products that are easy enough for children to learn, and they can feel great about starting there. And if they have kids, they can learn it with their kids, and it's an awesome bonding experience, and both of them are getting upskilled. The World Economic Forum released a survey in 2018 that said by 2022, 54% of adults were going to need significant upskilling and retraining to remain competitive in the workforce. 54% 54% over a four-year period, and by and large, the vast majority of adults I know have done no upskilling and retraining. Some have, but the majority of us haven't, and COVID is is a big accelerator for this. So, you know, the big thing as well is to know that you're going to be uncomfortable, and you're going to feel like you don't know anything initially, but that's okay. That's where we all started. You know, eight years ago, I wasn't doing any of this, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and now I'm impacting thousands of children each year, tens of thousands, and thousands so, of adults.
1: So uh, let's just spend a few minutes, we have about six minutes here. Let's spend a, a little bit of time explaining what robots.education uh, does, and how y- you go into the schools, how people, how how educators can invite you to go into the schools, and some of the grants and programs available.
2: Perfect, okay, so the number one most important thing we do is we've talked about a lot of topics here today. Um, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we're facing is a lack of understanding of what's coming. And you know, I, I always do polls at my conferences, and I've talked to twenty thousand educators and I ask them the question: Do you feel like you understand the impact robotics and AI is going to have on the future, and feel like you know what you need to do? And the number of people who have who have indicated by their you know by their own judging not this isn't me judging them that's them judging themselves number of people who have told me they feel confident and that they know what they need to do is less than 50. which is about one in 400 so we're in the midst of the greatest transition in the history of man and one in 400 people feels like they know where the goalposts are and they know how to get there so the number one thing we do is free pd and any school can contact us and we will give them free pd You know, uh, we used to do a lot, a lot of it in person. Still, sometimes we can, but with COVID, sometimes it's going to need to be uh, online. But that's fine. We've done it with hundreds of schools.
1: You said PD, so professional development, professional Professional development development for teachers, for teachers.
2: Yeah. And you know what I would also say is if there's parents out there and you've got kids, go into your schools and talk to the schools. Find out if they're teaching robotics and coding and 3D printing. Do they understand those technologies? And if you don't feel that they're super aware Connect us with them because, you know, all we have to do is give people a little bit of information and then they can start to go down the right path. So the free PD professional development is the big one. We also offer free robotics training for teachers. And we offer free student sessions, robotic sessions that are interactive where the kids can come up and program the robots. And, you know, I've talked to schools, parent associations. The goal is we want the educators to understand where we need to go. We want the children to be excited about going there. We want the parents to understand where we need to go. And when we do that, we get culture change, and we can do great things in a very short period of time. Now, one of the other things we do is we offer demo robots to schools. If they're interested in teaching robotics, they can contact us. We may be able to send a robot or a a small number of robots into each school where they can get literate with it and start to get comfortable. And then we'll also give them training and stuff with that. So we've got a huge range of free options for schools to try to help bring them along. Uh, last year, we had a coding grant where uh, we were giving free coding away to 4,000 schools. Uh, and this is comprehensive coding education, 300 hours of coding education. And we're trying to put that back in place again this year. I, I, I can't confirm today that that's there, but it likely will be. But we've got coding solutions where schools can bring coding into the you know, for all of their kids, for as little as $1.50 per student. And now if you think about, okay, it's $1.50 per student per year, and my my child is going to be in school for eight years, you know, learning this, we're talking about $20, and your children can get a coding education. These solutions are not expensive. Putting robotics into a school ends up being between $10 and $20 per student. So they're they're not expensive if, if you're if you're selecting the right solutions, and you know you're you're implementing them correctly. So we help schools do that as well.
1: So again, educators should log on to robots.education and there's a contact page there and reach out.
2: Yeah, and I guess one more thing I'd throw out there is, you know, if there are. Um, influencers out there either at the government level or social even on social media or philanthropists out there i would invite them to contact us as well we are very open to collaboration and finding solutions you know for for everybody here it's it's not just about trying to raise up our engineering minded or our our students that are in the wealthiest neighborhoods it's about trying to raise everybody up because we have to get through this as humanity
1: all right. I have uh, a number of questions lined up from our YouTube live chat, and uh, we'll get to those when we come back. Again, we also have uh, opened the phone lines, questions and comments for Dennis Combites at 416-360-0740 in the Greater Toronto Area, 416-360-0740, and toll free from just about anywhere, one 866 740 Four seven forty.
0: You're listening to the Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio.
1: All right, uh, I'm going to go to the YouTube live chat here. And Art by Sid, one of our regulars, asks: Have there been any recent public polls done by? uh you dennis asking people if they want more ai in their daily lives also do you think due to COVID 19 will more people embrace ai
2: um we have not conducted any polls pertaining to uh the the interest that people have with ai um and and i think that if we did you know from all of my discussion uh people would be at this point a little afraid of it by and large um you know there but there's ai all around us that we're not really thinking of or, or at least there's you know there's intelligent machines coming all around us so um i i think that yeah that the public would be uh mostly afraid of it at this point and that's due to the spectacular nature of movies like terminator and and the like um sorry and then the second half of the question can you repeat that again my
1: apologies uh do um, do you think COVID nineteen will will cause more people to embrace AI? I think you sort of uh, answered that earlier, but just if you wouldn't mind repeating.
2: Yeah, I, I think that certainly there will be a segment of of society that feels safer around machines than people with regards to uh, COVID. But there's one thing that is undeniable, and that's the fact that COVID has accelerated the use of robotics and AI and we'll continue to accelerate it. So all of the forecasts that we had, those were all based on, you know, reasonable and known expectations at the time. We didn't think at those times when we were putting those forecasts together that we would see something that would be as game-changing as COVID.
1: All right, Uh, Roger Vega asks, do you believe AI will in any way enable us to harness free energy or will we still depend on the oil and gas cartels?
2: I think that uh, certainly we will make energy increasingly available, uh, free. Uh, certainly, possibly, uh, but that, I believe that that's probably a ways off. You know, truly, um, we're gonna we're gonna discover there's things we don't know that we don't know pertaining to um, alternative energy sources. Uh, certainly, I want to see us pushing in those areas, but there are. Um, there's there's going to be a lot of a lot of challenges. I think I think we're going to be look, looking at using oil and gas for a decent amount of time for a significant portion of our energy, and I think that you know we need to be pushing as hard as we can towards truly clean uh, energy because a lot of things that are advertised as clean are not that clean.
1: Right. Um, of course, you know in inside assembly plants, uh, and I'm thinking of. You know, robotics or robots assembling, uh, self-driving cars, etc. You can you don't have to worry about setting the thermostat at a comfortable level. I mean, there in other words, there are huge savings here. I can see. Um, you you're not paying for overtime. You're 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 uh, you're not doing double time and a half on stat holidays. There's no legacy costs in terms of pensions. Well, these costs be brought down to the consumer? These savings, rather? Will they be brought down to the consumer? Uh,
2: potentially to a degree, right? So it, that's, that's a real tough one to answer, because we have to understand that so many things are going to change simultaneously. You know, I, I remember back to reading an article eight years ago, you know, or seven years ago, where Bill Gates was talking to presidents, telling them we need to start taxing robots. Right, the, the government, if they're going to continue to offer social programs, needs to pull that revenue from somewhere. So then you start talking about, okay, well, do we tax robots? Is there, you know, increased tariffs? There's a lot of different, a lot of different possible ways that the economy and the whole the whole business of doing business, it's all going to need to change. And again, this goes back to why everybody needs to understand this, because if our government officials don't understand this um, we're going to be in trouble.
1: All right, let's go to the phones. Nick is joining us uh, tonight this morning from Ohio. Nick from the Buckeye state. Good morning. Welcome.
2: Good morning, Mr. Richard. How are you tonight?
1: I'm well, thank you.
2: Hey, so, uh, Dennis, I wanted to ask you, uh, I know you had earlier mentioned, uh, you know, certain things will be harder for the, the AI to replace, you know, like plumbing, for example. Um, you think that, what what do you think, how how long do you think it is until, you know, robots replace someone who's, you know, swinging a hammer or does it even get to that? Do they just, you know, with the 3D printing and all that, does it just skip that and it's not even something that happens? Well, so I guess the first thing is 3D printing of houses is not mainstream at this point in time, um, but it's, it's picking up steam. And so I would say, that we can expect you know the the construction of some houses to change you know where i am my house is made of wood now they could prefabricate walls and put those up and stuff and a lot of that type of thing is happening already to try to bring the cost down so certainly my my feeling on that would be a lot of those jobs are already being displaced and historically you know have been getting displaced for a period of time but they are going to be increasingly so. So, you know, if I was, if I was, you know, if, if you're somebody who swings a hammer building houses, my advice to you would be start looking and you've maybe got a period of two years, five years, seven years, but at a minimum, if you upgrade your skills, you've got a more robust and probably a higher paying future. And if you don't, then, you know, and you're caught. At at the 11th hour, then things become much tougher. So the right time Mm -hmm. to start is always today.
1: So let's suppose Nick wants to start today and he wants to find out about coding or, you know, robotics, and he he logs on to robots.education. Then what does he do? What's the next step? Can he enroll in a a course in coding?
2: Yeah, so we've you know, we're we are not a government organization, I guess is something I'd clarify. We are a private company. We just tend to run like a a nonprofit or a charity because of the free stuff that we do. But we've got a number of products on our website that are the most approachable and best products for different age groups. And what I would say is somebody who's looking at wanting to learn coding, um, we've got a piece of software on there called RoboGarden which is an excellent coding education. Um, it's about 300 hours of coding. If he wants to learn robotics and, uh, you know, and, and even RoboGarden, you can tell by the name, is geared towards teaching people coding from the perspective of robotics. Um, but if he wanted to learn robotics, a great place to start would be with the Easy Robot platform. It, there's in the range of 70 or 80 free tutorials on the website. And it really is something that people can pick up, and they can just start working through, and starting to learn things and understand it. And then from there, if you know, if you're finding that you like it, I would say look for look for courses with experts in your area, where you can get that you know that last twenty or thirty percent that'll get you the jobs that you know that are the good paying jobs.
1: Nick, thanks for the call. Uh, let's see uh, le- level. Level Inc. asks, you keep saying kids need to have robotics literacy. What can we do as parents when we don't control the public school curriculum? Excellent question.
2: Excellent question. And this, and this is really the challenge that we're facing. You know, in, in, in lots of countries, coding is mandatory. In the province of B.C., um, it, it became mandatory a couple of years ago, but it's still going through some growing pains Uh, In Alberta, not mandatory at this point in time. There's, you know, and different provinces and states are moving along at different speeds. So the big thing to do, I would say, is talk to your school and find out what their plans are, how they're addressing this. And you know, my advice would be if you're if you feel that your school really is not moving on this, uh, and this is going to sound harsh, so I apologize for it. I would recommend changing schools. And the the education is too important for your kids. If they miss out on this, they're going to be so disadvantaged. Now, a lot of schools will say they don't have budget. They don't know they don't have the teachers that'll teach it. We have solutions to help people work through all of those things if they contact us, right? So we we help with the PD. We help with the training. I've helped a number of schools find the money to put robotics into their schools, and it's it's quite cost effective. So really, what it comes down to is. It's not part of the core curriculum in many, many places right now in North America, which is a big problem. So we need to bring it to the, you know, to, to the kids in the most engaging way possible to get as many of them to take voluntary courses as we can.
1: Uh, I think we have time for Thinker Asks. Does Dennis have any information on advanced NASA or DARPA advanced robot technology or applications? And what's the difference between programming a bot in a virtual world and a real world robot?
2: Um, Okay. So I I don't have specific knowledge pertaining to what NASA or DARPA might be up to at this exact time. Um, I've got no inside secrets that I can share, (laughs) Uh, but with regards to, Programming a, a bot virtually or online, uh, versus a real one from an engagement level, if, if we're talking about students or adults that are, that are contemplating learning this, if you have the robot, you know, on the desk or on the table in front of you, the level of engagement is massively, massively higher. Um, getting that real time feedback is huge and, you know when I'm doing presentations for kids, I talk to my robot and he responds. I say, you know, JD, show me how strong you are, and he starts doing push-ups. And the instant he does that, you can hear all the desks move and everybody's, you know, kind of now they're paying attention to the presentation. And I say, what else can you do? And he does a headstand. And it's the kids that can program all these things. So if you're dealing with, if you're dealing with a physical robot, from a, again from an engagement perspective, the the children and adults will build an emotional. Uh, connection with the robot, which might sound a little bit creepy, but it's really, really excellent <laughs> for engagement. Well, it, it's kind of weird. You know, I, I want to tell a real quick story. Okay,
1: I'm going to get you to tell that. Sorry, Dennis, I, I'm up against a, a break yep. here. I'll I'll get to that no quick problem. story on the other side. Dennis Combites You're from back. robots.education back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.
0: Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. On Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard Live, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Uh,
1: before the break, Dennis, you were going to share a, a story, and I, I think this had to do with uh, sort of student engagement with uh with robot robotics. Yeah, this this one
2: this one's a personal one. I when I was first uh, starting to learn robotics myself i had a, one of the humanoid robots at home and i had programmed it to do the push-ups and respond to my voice so i showed it to my daughter and i said no jd show me how strong you are same thing i always do and she was so blown away by it she, as soon as it was it stood back up she picked it up and gave it a big hug and said good job jd good job girl and <laughs> at that time my son's were like that's not a girl robot that's a boy robot And I was, you know, and while they were bickering, I was just sitting there with my head in my hand going, oh, my God, my daughter's in love with a robot. (laughs) (laughs) Because I had just finished watching some AI show. And, you know, and I was, I was, I I was sitting there and I was taken aback for a little bit. And then, you know, a couple hours passed and I was like, wait a second. Your daughter thought the robot was awesome. You can use that, that emotional connection to bring all kinds of STEM education to her. And so. You know that's the kind of impact that we see when when the kids are working with a physical robot. So if you know if we're talking about an adult that's looking at getting an education, you can use uh, software that has got a virtual robot and stuff in it, and you can still get all of the same education and lessons, but you won't see the same high level of engagement.
1: Right. You um, you told me a story the last time we spoke that involved you uh, some students that were totally engaged uh, with w- what you were teaching them, and then you found out something quite interesting about these students. Do you remember that story?
2: Yeah. So this was I had I had been asked to uh, teach a week long robotics course at a small town in Alberta, and uh, they were having something called experiential learning week. So the kids could pick whatever subject matter they were interested in. They would bring an expert in, and all the kids would get you know, thirty five hours straight of of school time learning that one thing or doing that one thing so the bakers were baking so i had a group of kids that wanted to learn robotics and of course it was all boys because they said who wants to learn robotics and no girls put their hand up but over the span of the week 10 or 15 or 20 girls came into the library and they would all stop and just watch these boys programming these humanoid robots and these spider robots but in particular the humanoid robot really caught the girls' attention and so i'd go over and i'd say hey would you be interested in learning to program this and every single one of them said yes right so they were all interested in learning robotics with the with the equipment that we were using they just thought that robotics was something different because of what it historically has been but a really cool thing happened to me at the end of the second day so i've got 15 boys from grade 7 to 12 all learning robotics end of the second day i i took the supervising teacher aside And I said, I am blown away by your kids. It's been two straight days of learning nothing but robotics, which is very cerebral. And I'm like, it's been two days and your kids are still laser focused. And his comment back to me was awesome. He said, you don't even know the half of it. These are the kids that are failing or are nearly failing. They don't bother showing up for school. And if they come, they tell the teacher where to go and walk out of the class those are the kids you have here, and I didn't tell you that before you came because I was afraid that you might not come. And my response was, you know, thank you so much for not telling me because I might have come in with some preconceived notions, but here we had a group of 15 kids that would have been considered at risk. You know, the, this that the teachers in this school would have said, you know, are challenging to varying degrees, and I thought that they had cherry-picked the grade-A students for me. They were all achieving at a high level. They were all super engaged. And at the end of it, the school did a focus group and asked those 15 boys what they would be interested in, again, if they ran another you know, experiential learning week, and 14 said robotics and one said rocketry. Now, imagine, imagine the paradigm there where you've got a bunch of kids that are on the brink of you know, or high risk of, of dropping out of school or not performing well. And those kids have a great future, and it's robotics. It's going to be the fastest-growing industry in the world. It's, and and I, the number of times we've had that exact type of experience, I, I, I just can't even tell you. It's virtually every time.
1: That's, that's very powerful. Uh, Solar Warden in the YouTube live chat asks, Can you explain quantum computing and how can it be applied with respect to AI?
2: Uh, th- th- honestly, that one's a little bit above my pay grade. <laughs>
3: you
2: know, quantum computing is a whole, is a whole nother, uh, and a whole nother episode that would be best handled truly by someone who's an expert in that. Um, so I, I don't, I don't want to get into it and, and misinform. So I'll, I I'll, need I'll take a pass on that one, Richard.
1: All right. Equality72521. I don't know if that's a robot or not. (laughs) Equality72521 asks, if robotics replaces humanity, what place does humanity have in the future?
2: Uh, There's the big one. There's the big one. You know, I, 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 there's, there's a question I love to ask kids. And when we wrote our robotics curriculum, we made it, we put ethics in there and morals and stuff. And we started to ask some tough questions because we want the kids to start thinking about them. And I want to put a question out there that is, kind of shows how slippery the slope is. And the question that I ask is, okay, imagine that, you know, each of you got in, into an accident and your hand got amputated and, you know, you could get a robotic hand that you could connect to your brain and that would you know, allow you to use your hand. Who thinks that would be a great idea and everybody will put their hand up. And I'll say, okay, well, now imagine that you've got your, your forearm amputated, so from the elbow up, and now you've got a, a robotic forearm and hand. Still a good idea? Everybody says yes. I'm like, okay, well, imagine that there's hydraulics in there, and that hand is 50 times stronger than a human hand. Still a good idea? And now people are like, wait a second, I don't have one of those hands. I'm disadvantaged. And then I, and then I, I drop the big one. I'm like, okay, what happens now if someone says, I've got one of these super super robotic hands, and I want a second one? and they choose to have their arm amputated to get a super strong robotic arm. And at that point in time, everybody's convinced that that's the wrong thing for us to do. So we've gone from, of course, it's totally obvious to, no, absolutely we shouldn't be doing this, and nothing has changed, we've got the same meta. So we're, you know, humanity is in for some real tough questions in terms of what should we, we, be, what should we be doing? And, you know, the top thinkers in in the space of ai and stuff you look at elon musk and you know his biggest concern is what happens with ai he's got an ai company <laughs> he's got a you know a he's got neuralink and and he looks at this and he goes we have to be ready for this because it is going to be a large question you know all the things that we've been talking about the big the the, the big impacts to the world that we're going to see in the next decade None of those involve the science fiction aspect of robotics and AI. those are all the generic vanilla things that are already started to happen, and it's still already the biggest thing.
1: All right, we've got to take a a quick timeout. The humanity uh, aspect, you bet. All right, we'll uh, take a quick timeout, come back, finish up with Dennis Combites and your calls and questions right here on The Conspiracy Show.
0: Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio.
1: What about broadcasters, Dennis? Am I going to be replaced by a robot or artificial intelligence?
2: No, Richard, nobody could replace you. <laughs> you, <laughs> you ask <those> questions.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, no. Again, there will be an algorithm for that, no?
2: Well, they, they, they could put stuff in it. You so much, so much of what you do is the human touch and the interaction and and sensing inflections in voice and you know that those are going to be things that are going to be very difficult for AI to pick up on. I believe
1: the military. Uh, I mean, we already have uh, drones, but they're tethered to a human. He, that human could be thousands of miles away. But but how soon do you think before? robots will be fighting our battles on the battlefield and they will be untethered from humans. In other words, again, algorithms will be making these decisions when to shoot, when not to.
2: I'd I'd really like to hope that we don't see that day. I don't, I don't want that to be a decision for a machine to make. Um, Will it happen? It's possible. It's certainly more likely to happen if we have um, if we don't have the public having a strong voice and a strong understanding. You know, the, this goes back to the whole humanities question. And I am a big, you know, I, I, I work in robotics, but I am a massive humanitarian. And I really want, you know, I want to preserve the human experience. And um, I certainly don't want to preserve human casualties in war, but I'd like to think that we can find solutions that are not war. Hopefully in the future, you know, as, as technology improves and, you know, medical advancements happen, you know, the, the potential is there for us to really reach a spectacular place as mankind, you know, with with abundance for all, you know, and I'd, I'd like to think that that's where we'll end up. And certainly if that's if that's the direction humanity wants to end up in and enough people that have that vision also have the skills to make that happen then that's where we'll end up. Yeah,
1: in, Getting back to the education for a moment, in terms of coding and robotics, do you have to have a strong background or a strong grasp of math in order to code?
2: It, it certainly helps math and robotics or, or coding um, go together. It's critical thinking. It's you know, reverse engineering and, and breaking down complex problems into simple problems. Um, it's one of the things I love about robotics within the education space. It's kind of the, you know, the, the, the hub for all education. You've got your science in there. You've got your physics. You can put your chemistry in there, your biology in, in comparison, comparing the technology to, to mankind. But the math is a big one. And it's interesting. We've worked with somebody who does tutoring for people that are visually spatially impaired. And the way that we teach robotics, she has used that when she's tutoring kids. And what she says is, and this is somebody who's got a double doctorate in education uh, in math and learning environment, I believe. And her comment was the difference that in, in people's visual spatial skills over the span of just a week is enormous. Because you're looking at a robot and you're adjusting angles. You're looking at, okay, this is what a 45-degree angle looks like. And then you're rotating that on an axis and because the kids are seeing it happen in front of their eyes in real time they start to be able to build those map ways and apparently there is science or studies out there that show that strong visual spatial skills are kind of the foundation for math as math is the foundation for other things so robotics and math go together hugely hugely
1: what what percentage i I've, I've heard the number, but I can't remember it uh what percentage of of jobs for this new robot economy have not even been invented yet have not even been thought of yet
2: i I don't have a number on that that's that's honestly that's tough to pin millions and tens of millions of them you know it there are you know, one of the things that is always so tough with making forecasts like this are we, we make the forecasts under the paradigm that we visualize things. You know, for example, if we just said, OK, can a robot drive a car? People would have visualized a humanoid robot sitting in a car driving it. They wouldn't visualize that the car is the robot. Right. So what will end up happening is there's always a paradigm change that happens. There's like a little a little twist and then everything changes from that point on. I would say there will be tens of millions of jobs coming that we don't know what they are yet.
1: You you mentioned 3D printers. and I'm just wondering whether that – one of the things I talk about on this program a lot are, are the forces of globalism versus the nation state. And uh, people talk about economic nationalism and, and so forth, protecting you know, um, America first or Canada first, et cetera. Um, do you think that robotics, automation, especially things like 3D printers, which will totally disrupt the, the, the supply chain, we don't have to worry about – Uh, uh, long-distance supply chains anymore, do you think that that could spell the end of globalism?
2: I don't think so. And part of the reason is, you know, okay, I saw a video um, earlier today on LinkedIn about a robot that was stocking pop, or, or, or beverages anyways, into a fridge and that was on the left side of the screen. On the right side of the screen was somebody with a VR headset and, hand, you know, hand controls. And they were controlling the robot, you know, apparently from five miles away. So we start to look at things like that. And then, you know, we start to go, okay, now, if that could happen from five miles, it could happen from 5,000 5, miles. And now you start to go, okay, what happens with, you know, the robots that are, Robots are good at 80 to 90% of a task, and that last 10%, if that's being done by people, you know, what what do we pay our people here versus what are they paid in India or Asia or South America, right? So then I guess this is a, that's a comment that, you know, we may see more nationalism and, again, closing of borders or whatever, but we have to start thinking about whole new taxation structures. But I do think that globalization exists because you know, the cost of goods, are less if we're if we're globalized and that's going to be important when people start to you know start to experience higher levels of unemployment right it, it, it's really hard to put up the barriers although that may be what some countries try to do
1: in the 80s you know steve jobs uh goal was to have you know a computer in an apple computer in everyone's home um I mean, I know to a certain extent we all have uh, some some form of robotics in our home, but I'm talking about a sort of a personal assistant type robot. Uh, how soon do you see that happening? When everyone, it'll just be another appliance in their in their house will have a personal assistant robot to do the heavy lifting.
2: I would say we'll, you know, there are companies that are out there advertising those already. The ones that I've seen are not ready. I would say we're probably five to 10 years from that. But we will start seeing things like robotic chefs, like, you know, uh, single use robots and stuff in houses before that, for sure.
1: Uh again Dennis how do people get a hold of uh, of you at robots.education maybe uh, educators schools if they want to uh, to find out more how they can maybe apply for a uh, grant to start teaching uh, coding and so forth
2: They can on our on our website they can um, we've got the contact button and if they are inquiring about any of the programs that we have those will go to the appropriate person I I see a lot of them myself. Um, and we'll get back to people. We do get back to everybody that contacts us. Uh, and usually, although I'm not sure what the impact of this program may be, <laughs> it may, may slow us down a little bit, but we we, we usually get back to people within forty eight hours. and you know i've done I've done a bunch a bunch of you know phone calls and stuff, even with just individual people that are curious and are looking at trying to start robotics programs in their own cities or towns, they're saying. We, you know, we don't have any adequate resources here, but I'm interested and willing to pick up the ball and, and do what I can. And we've worked with those people, again, with no robotics experience and help them grow businesses teaching robotics. So anybody that is looking to try to, you know, impact their, their towns or cities or counties, uh, we're certainly happy to talk with them. And there's a range of different options we can bring.
1: Robots.education. Dennis, a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Very enlightening.
2: Thank you, Richard. Appreciate the time. Have a great night.
1: You too. All right. My thanks to Carlos Gagina and Ryan White. Back next week, of course, the anniversary of 9-11 with Morgan Reynolds from nomoregames.net and Dr. Judy Wood the author of Where Did the Towers Go? In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.